Good day, Grace Church. Hello to all of you. Uh, it's a privilege to open up God's Word today now. Uh, we've gathered to praise the glories of God's grace and enjoy God and His Word. We're going to focus today on Romans 8, verse 32. Romans 8, 32, which tells us that our ultimate salvation is graciously given and guaranteed by God. Our ultimate salvation is graciously given and guaranteed by God. So I really want to invite you today uh, to celebrate with me the fact that we are loved together, we are loved forever in Christ. God graciously gives. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and please stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read verses 31 to 39 today, the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written... For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Lord, we thank you for these magnificent gospel truths. Lord, these truths anchor our souls. And I pray, Lord, that we truly would celebrate your goodness today, your grace today, that you would open our eyes and we would see wonderful things in your word, all for your glory, and we pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So I'm sure that you have already noticed that Romans 8, 32 is a high voltage Bible verse. It's supercharged with gospel goodness. We see God's gracious gift. We see God's gracious guarantee. And what it does is it ensures God's continuation of his gracious work in every believer's life. For God's glory and our eternal good. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Romans chapters 1 through 7 told us 
of our total depravity, our total inability, and God's action on our behalf in Christ, how Christ shed his blood in our place. And then you get to Romans 8, and it's this pinnacle of biblical assurance. A pinnacle of biblical assurance. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ because God condemned sin at the cross, condemning Christ in our place. He shed his blood for us, and God sovereignly decreed it. He said it would happen. He providentially orchestrated every part and he he legally declared every person in Christ right with him and he eternally secured our destiny. God did these things. Believers are freed from the slavery to sin. Uh, Sanctification is set in motion. There is lifelong life change by the Spirit of God in operation in our lives. The Spirit of life, the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit of glory as Romans 8 calls him. And he changes our nature. He Guarantees our eternity. He empowers us not to sin. We actually can say no to sin when we are in Christ. And over and over again, God assures his children that they truly are his children. That The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what your story is. I don't know how long you've been suffering. I don't know how great your life is. I don't know any of those things. But here's what I do know. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you love Jesus, you're trusting him and not yourself. You're trusting that God is righteous, mankind is sinful, Jesus came as the only Savior and died in our place, and you know that faith and repentance are the only response. You are trusting in Jesus Christ. I can tell you with assurance that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Romans tells us this so clearly. Romans 8 tells us this so clearly. As one writer put it, suffering is a drop. Glory is an ocean. We are looking forward to a resurrected body one day. You know how some of you, you're, some of us, our, our bodies are aching a bit. Just being up here for three hours, you know, by that time I'm like, my, my knees are kind of hurting and my feet are kind of sore. But praise God I get to do this. But hey, your body, it's... Unless you're young, your body is on the downhill slope. You're still doing the sit-ups and push-ups, but you realize they're not working as well as they used to. You're groaning. One day you'll have a resurrected body. One day you'll be Christ-like. Some of you are like, well, my family and friends are telling me I'm not very Christ-like. Welcome to the club. We groan as Christians. We're longing for God to take away every vestige of sin that affects us. And the the Spirit groans with groanings too deep for words as the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. you got the Holy Spirit praying for you if you're a believer. And then you get to verse 28. Here, Here we are in Romans 8. We're in the We're in the chapter that's like on the Mount Rushmore of Bible verses. One of the grandest verses in all of the Bible. And you get to Romans 8.28. And it tells us that for those who trust in Jesus and not themselves, God works all things together for good, for their eternal good. 
Just the other day, I was reading an article by someone who was trying, supposedly, to correct an error in handling the Bible, and they just mangled Romans 8.28 in the process. Kind of just applied it to the whole world. Hey, God works all things together for good. God works all things together for good to those who love him. And in the context of Romans, loving God is trusting in Jesus to save you apart from any works you can do. You're trusting in the finished work of Christ. And those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8 clearly tells us God chooses who he will foreknow and predestine and call and justify and glorify. You get into Romans 8 verses 29 and 30 and and you realize these precious, precious gospel gems that God has chosen to foreknow and predestine and call and justify and glorify those whom he has chosen. And your, your soul just gets so encouraged by Romans 8. In fact, you get to the end of verse 30 and you're thinking, what more could be said, right? It's all been said. And then you get to Romans 8, 31 to 39. And God just continues to heap like big piles of mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. Just heap the blessings upon us. It's like just putting more and more icing on a cake. Verses 31 to 39 sums up all of Romans so far, all from chapter 1 to chapter 8. It's a series of questions. You can boil those down to four challenges. You saw the first one last week, verse 31. Can any conceivable power rip you from God and rob you of glorification? Can any conceivable power rip you away from God and rob you of ultimate glorification? And it was answered very cleanly, very cleanly in verse 31, with a panoramic announcement of God's Saving ways, saving acts, what shall we say to these things? These things, all the things we've heard in Romans so far. It gives us a personal assurance of God's saving acts. God is for us. He is for the elect. He is on our side. And then the promised application of his saving acts. Who can be against us? He's going to continue to protect every one of his own. God is working on your behalf in Christ. Who can be your foe? Who could conceivably take away your no condemnation status in Christ? What's the answer? Give me the answer. Say it loud and clear. Who could conceivably take away your no condemnation status in Christ? No one. Praise God. You get to verse 32. See a second challenge. Is there any danger? Is there any danger of God's loving, patient care lessening or running out. And there's a third challenge in verses 33 and 34. Can anyone convict the believer of sin? And then a fourth challenge in verses 35 to 39. Can anyone or anything separate you from God's love in Christ? So we're going to look at the second question today, the second challenge, verse 32. Is there any danger? of God's love in Christ running out or lessening towards you. I mean, we slip into ungodly ways. We know this. We are sometimes filled with anger, impatience, unkindness. It is possible for Christians, and we know it's true, from our own lives. We can engage in outright evil. 
So do you ever wonder if God's patient love will ever run out toward you? Might God ever decide he's had enough of you and decide to withdraw his mercy and leave you to your own ways? Would God ever reject those he has declared righteous in Christ? Will he ever disown any that he decided to set his love upon in a saving way? And the reason why these are good questions to ask is because we think like this. We don't want to tell anybody, but we think like this. We think these things sometimes. They, they cross our minds. You look at other Christians and you're like, well, they're better than me and look how bad I'm doing. I'm wondering if God is going to decide he's had enough of me. This is why over and over again we get reminded of gospel truth in the Bible. The fog of life rolls in. Uh, you can't see through the clouds. Uh, things might be going horribly and you start to wonder am i losing my grip on what i once believed or even things go great for you in your life and you realize you're not thinking about the lord and you're starting to think that you deserve all the good things coming your way it's a valid question to ask whether god's patient love will ever run out because if we get the answer wrong we run the risk of, of misunderstanding God and misinterpreting his word and mis, 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 mistaking his ways, misapplying even what he does and what he's like. We want to align with truth. Every believer should want to align with truth. Jesus said in John 8, 32, that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you, what? Free. Everyone in Christ have been set free from sin and death. But is there any danger of God's patient love lessening or leaving you? The answer is no danger at all. There is no danger. God is for us. Nothing can defeat us because God did not spare his own son. He did the greatest thing. And so everyone who is in Christ, every true believer, he's going to give everything you need to get you to glory. If you're not a believer, that's not true about you. But for believers, God graciously gives and he guarantees everything necessary to save us ultimately. So let's look at this first idea of God's gracious gift. Christ died to save us. That's the gracious gift. Christ died to save us. Verse 32. We're just looking at one verse today. We'll have lots of cross-references, but we're looking at one verse. The first part of verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So the verse begins, he who. This is magnifying God. This is magnifying his deeds. He who magnifies God's deed, what he did, he did not spare. That means he didn't avoid, he didn't refrain from, he didn't prevent trouble happening to his own son. There was no holding back the wrath of God against sin upon Jesus at the cross. He didn't keep protecting his own son. Despair means to save from loss or discomfort. Isaiah 53.10 tells us it was the father's good pleasure to crush his son. It's proof that God is for us. It's the greatest exhibition of God's love. The greatest display of the love of God. It's a reference here to Abraham offering Isaac in Genesis 22. Abraham offered Isaac at God's command. He immediately obeyed, 
And God provided another sacrifice in the place of his son. In Genesis 22:12, it says this, Do not stretch your hand out against the lad. Do nothing to him. Now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld, spared, kept back, your son, your only son, from me. Genesis 22, 16. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and not withheld, not spared, not held back, your son, your only son. God gave his only son as the substitute for sacrifice, shed his blood for us, This was the ultimate provision of God for our needs. It foreshadowed, it's foreshadowed in Genesis 22. The result in Genesis 22 is Abraham knows God as Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. He knew God as the one who provides the ram in the brush. And and he is also God who provided the lamb on the cross. As Jehovah Jireh, God knows our needs and he provides. God knows our need and he provides. I remember when our kids were younger and especially when we had our firstborn, I remember, you know, especially Alexandra got colicky. She got like all fussy and there were stomach issues and what have you. And I remember that family and friends who were experienced with kids would come alongside of us when our when, when, when she would get sick or needed something because they'd been through it. They knew exactly what we needed and they were more than happy to provide what we needed because they knew our need better than we knew our need. God does so much more. So much more. Through the sacrifice of his son, he provides salvation. And not just salvation, but power to live through the Holy Spirit in ways that please him that we would actually do his will. He freely gave the best he had when we were helpless, when we were ungodly, when we were enemies of his. So now that we are his friends, because he made us his friends, he's going to complete the process. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Who did it? The Father did it. The Father did this. Here you have the undying love of God seeing in the Savior dying for us and securing eternal redemption, eternal salvation for us. God is for you as a father is for his children. This is God's fatherly love for his adopted children. It's easy to say, well, God is our father. That's all the way through the Bible. Not realizing, and James Boyce pointed this out actually, that in the Old Testament, Father was used of God only 14 times and never in a personal way. In fact, in Jesus' time, God's name was so reverenced by the Jews that when they came across it in Scripture, they wouldn't even pronounce his name. They would say Lord and substitute Lord instead of Yahweh when they came to it in the Scriptures. And then you have Jesus coming onto the scene And he always addresses God as his father. Very significant. The only time he didn't was when he cried out on the cross 
as he bore our sins, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the father didn't spare the son. This is astounding. Here's what he taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven. J.I. Packer in his book Knowing God said this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. And then he said this, Father is the Christian name for God. The Father gave up the Son. The Father handed over the Son. Verse 32 tells us he gave him up, literally handed him over, delivered him over, let him be betrayed, gave him over. This is the idea of handing someone over to the authorities, turning someone into the police. Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered over because of our transgressions. He died for our sins. Our sins sent him to the cross. And then he was raised for our justification. Verse 32 tells us that God gave him up. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now I've got to take you back to something we talked about earlier on in Romans. The idea of, of the word for, the Greek word huper, it's a Greek preposition that expresses the idea of, of substitution. That he delivered him up for us, in our place. Christ was given for us. Romans 5, 6 says, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for, in the place of, substituting himself in the place of the ungodly. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our place. He substituted himself in our place. There's a story uh, back from the Civil War time of a farmer in New York who got drafted uh, for the Union Army. And his wife had died. So he was the only supporter for his children. And one of his friends, a man in town, with no family, came to his home and he said, I'm going to go for you in your place. I'm going to go serve in the war for you for the sake of your children. You stay and watch your children. So this generous friend literally went off to battle and was shot and killed. The farmer hears what happened and he goes to the battlefield. He goes to the scene of the battle and he brings back the body and he buries his friend in the village churchyard and he, he inscribes, he engraves on the headstone, he died for me. He died for me. His friend died in his place. So much more, the father gave the son to die in our place. God didn't hold back giving Christ or pouring out wrath against sin on him and so he who knew no sin, the sinless one, became sin for us. 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ died in the place of, for the benefit of, on behalf of, instead of ungodly, unlovely, unlovable, helpless sinners rebelling against God. God's enemies. He died for his enemies, as Romans 5.10 tells us this. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, much more having been reconciled, we're going to be saved by his life. This is the hope. You've got the gracious gift of God. Christ died for us. Christ died to save us. And just seamlessly, you get into the next part of the verse. Now you've got God's gracious guarantee. God will do everything necessary to ultimately save every believer. Look at the rest of this verse. How will he not also with him, with Christ, graciously give us all things? How will he not? That's a strong negative. Strong negative. How will he not with him graciously give us all things? This just means he is going to give us all things. He is going to give us all things. Now, what this doesn't mean is the health and wealth gospel, the twisted version, God will give you whatever you desire and think you deserve. No, that's a total lie. God in Christ mercifully doesn't give you what you really deserve, which is hell. So how will he not also with him, also with him, the gift of his own son, that's the promise, that's the pledge of all the things for good of verse 28, he will graciously give. He will freely give. The idea is this. Would God do less for his children than he did for his enemies? Graciously give. He's going to bestow out of grace. He's going to give freely. He's going to give graciously. 1 Corinthians 2.12 tells us, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. God wants you to know these things. God wants you to know that he freely gave. And I've got to point out the Greek word here. It's charizomai. It's from charis, which means grace. It's the undeserved merit or favor that's granted. God is generously giving. He's kindly giving. This is bestowing a gift of grace, a gift out of grace. But it's the idea where you go help someone that doesn't deserve it. This is the idea to show grace by giving undeserved help to someone unworthy. That's us. This is what God did. And it means to bestow, charizomai means bestow a favor unconditionally. It, it literally means to pay off a debt. It actually can be translated to forgive. It's an unconditional act. Now I want to point this out because there's some more meaning to this than, might, than, the, than the, the eye might see, or the ear might hear at first glance or at first hearing. The specific meaning of charizomai depends on the context. And, and half of the New Testament uses, actually 12 out of 23 times the charizomai is used, it's used if granting forgiveness, giving forgiveness, to forgive out of grace freely and graciously. And you see it in Ephesians 4, verse 32. 
Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So forgive freely, not grudgingly. Same word used of God forgiving us in Christ. I say this because the reason I bring this up is it's reasonable to interpret Paul's use of charizomai in Romans 8.32 as including the idea of God's gracious forgiveness as well as his gracious giving. He freely forgives us all things in Christ. Unlimited forgiveness in Christ. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unlimited forgiveness in Christ. Now, what this doesn't mean is that you say, well, hey, I got unlimited forgiveness. I got a pass to sin. I got a free pass. I can go do whatever I want because I'm going to get forgiven. That's presuming upon God's grace. Unbelievers talk like that. Believers don't talk like that. The idea behind this, and this does sound scandalous, unlimited forgiveness means that if you're a believer, you cannot sin yourself out of God's grace. You cannot sin yourself out of God's grace. Freely give. He's going to freely give us all things that will bring us to glory, including forgiveness. So everything that sustains your life in Christ, all that contributes to your ultimate salvation, all freely given by God as a gift. He freely gives. He freely forgives all things. So that every sin the believer commits is covered under the blood of Christ and whatever is necessary to complete his work of grace and the purpose he had in choosing you will be done all things everything justification in sanctification and glorification so the sending of the son Galatians 4 4 God sent forth his son and for sort of sacrifice that wasn't in vain that wasn't in vain and what it's telling us is this. It, we've got to note this. This means that God is going to continue to do everything he purposed to do when he chose you and he chose to save you. He's going to give everything necessary to get you to glory. You might say, I don't see how the math is going to work out. I'm, I'm looking at my life and it's, it's not working out. I wish we had like an app. And, and the app would be like the glory meter app. And that you could look at your phone at any moment and go, wow, this is what God is doing to get me to glory. But it would blow up your phone. And it would blow your mind, too, because you'd be like, look at all the twists and turns. Look at all the hills and the, and the valleys and the peaks and the pits. How is this going to work out? God is going to do everything necessary to save every believer, which means if you're a believer, you're going to get through everything. You're going to get through everything. God is reasoning from the greater to the lesser. Whatever pain you're going through, whatever disappointment you're going through, whatever joy you're going through, whatever, whatever it is, the Father has done the greatest thing. He has sacrificed his son to death. He will do everything else. He will do all for us in Christ. This brings your whole life as a believer into focus. This is like just focus. This means it's all inclusive. This means that the highest gave the best. He will take care of the rest. The highest gave the best. He will take care of the rest. We should just keep saying this over and over again to ourselves. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God sent forth his son. God loved us and sent his son. Skeptics will say, how can you be so sure of this promise? Because the greatest gift ensures all the rest. Whether it's giving, whether it's forgiving, the logic flow is irresistible. It's untouchable. If God has already given us the greatest gift of his son as our savior and redeemer, he will not leave you hanging. One person described this this entire truth as not just one gift, but a conglomerate of gifts. Not like one big diamond, but diamonds and rubies and emeralds just heaped up all in settings of gold all together. You ask that question, will God's love ever run out as it relates to me in Christ? And the answer to that question will never cause you anxiety. And it's never going to cause you to fear. It's going to bring joy. It's going to bring gratitude. We've got to believe the truth about ourselves in Christ. Vance Havner told the old story of a ship's passenger who lived on crackers and cheese all the way across the ocean because he didn't realize that the ticket he had bought covered all the food. So he was eating crackers and cheese the whole time. He could be eating all the meals. Well, your salvation in Christ includes pardon from sin, deliverance from hell, and a ticket to heaven, but so much more. It includes all that you need for the journey. Nothing is left out. It's all inclusive. Jesus is not only your savior, he's your sustainer, and he's your supplier of everything you need. You don't have to live on your own crackers and cheese. God spared not his own son, but delivered, us, delivered him up for us all. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of Calvary. That's the message that sets your heart free to serve the Lord in this generation. God has given us his son. He will freely give us all things. Our assurance, our sanctification, our joy, our peace, our wisdom, everything you need to do God's will. You will not be lacking. And one day you will have a resurrection body and one day you will have eternal life in heaven all bought at the price of the shed blood of God's own son. All of it. All is a big word. It's short on letters, long on truth. It's all inclusive. It's, all, it's comprehensive. There's nothing lacking. Every one of us who's a believer is saying, but there's, there's a pervasive sin problem in my life. I'm here to tell you today that the allness of your sin is eclipsed by the allness of your Savior. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Galatians 3.22 tells us the scripture has concluded that all are under sin. We're all sinners. But the allness of our Savior eclipses that. It eclipses that. Christ is all and in all. Colossians 3.10, he fills all in all. Ephesians 1.23, he is before all things. And before him all things exist. For in him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
when the accusations fly, when you're sitting there even by yourself wondering, is God's love going to run out on me? Remember that the, the, the answer to the allness of your sin is the allness of your Savior. The assurance. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You've got God's gracious guarantee. God is going to do everything necessary to save you in Christ. Absolute assurance, absolute security in Christ. I'm sure we all rejoiced the day that gift certificates uh, were pronounced to never expire in California. You remember when that happened? They said from now on, they can't put an expiration date on the gift certificates. Like I was rejoicing that day, you know, finding all the gift certificates, you know, like, oh, let's go, right? Here's the deal, though. The restaurant could go out of business. So one time, Angela and I are sitting on this one gift certificate with a lot of resources listed on the gift certificate. And we were holding on to it for a while, you know, waiting for the special occasion and what have you. And then we decided, let's go. And the restaurant had closed. So the gift certificate that doesn't expire, it expires if the restaurant closes. God graciously gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. And his love never expires. God's love in Christ never ends. It never expires. There's absolute security in Christ. There's no expiration date on it. What it does in my heart is it causes me to gratefully praise God. It just, praise just wells up when I think of that. Just take this verse and just roll it through your mind over and over again. It brought me to tears this week. Thinking about this verse, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Graciously give us all things. It's the most comforting of truths. It reminds you how good God always is. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. You got the promises of God. You got the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Has it gripped your soul? Has it just gripped your soul and won't let you go? It's a tower of strength. It's an assurance. It leads to freedom and gratitude and ministry and humility and, and rejoicing. It's, it's reason to praise. So it makes me want to praise God. Just grateful praising. But it also makes me want to gratefully yield to God. Just, just say, God, everything is yours. I surrender everything. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, that's the most encouraging of truths. The biggest gift given ever. Nothing held back then. Christ is already ours. Just unleash your heart towards him. Say, God, it's all yours. Don't hold anything back. It, it, you know if you're a believer, it costs you everything to follow Christ. He asks for all. To yield and surrender everything. And for us who have freely received from God, how could we hold back anything from God? Should we not gratefully give all of ourselves back to him who gave? He did it all. We trust him with all. Trust your whole life. Trust your whole salvation. He has you. All things. Not all things that will make you happy, but all the things that will make you holy. We don't accurately acknowledge God's gracious gift of Christ for us in our place and the guarantee to do everything necessary to save us if we're selfishly living for ourselves, superstitiously thinking that it's all about us or 
our worldly happiness? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 tell us this. He died for all in the place of believers that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. What it tells me, for me and you that are believers, God is invested in our eternal perspective. We are citizens of heaven. Keep reminding yourself you're a citizen of heaven. You're tempted. You want to do this. You want to do that. You know it's not right. You're a citizen of heaven. God is invested in your, your supernatural transformation by the Spirit of God. You are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. New things have come. You're a new creation in Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand for you to live in. God is going to do everything possible to bring you safely to heaven. That inspires me to want to live a holy life. But it also inspires me to, to want to just love God and, and the brotherhood and sisterhood of believers. Grateful, loving. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Your life is going to reflect the gory details of your depravity or it's going to reflect the glory of Christ's sovereignty. Every time I read 1 John, I get indicted of bad attitudes and just wrong ways of thinking. 1 John 4, 7 through 12 tells us this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We condemn fellow believers. I do it far too often. We charge them with things. We criticize them. Here's what I got to remember every day, and you got to remember too. God's loving kindness to us gives us grace to love our uncondemned family. Do you realize that your family in Christ is uncondemned? It doesn't just apply to you. And love expresses itself in mercy. Alleviating the misery sin brings. It, it expresses itself in forbearance, letting things go. And in forgiveness, letting someone go free. Be tender-hearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. Bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. The pastorly advice we all have to take. Don't be the one that needs to be watched out for in the church. Hidden way near the end of Romans, Romans 16, verse 17, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. So let me just say, please don't be the one that needs to be looked out for, watched out for. Please don't be the one that causes divisions. Please don't gossip. Please don't slander. Please don't hurt other people. Please don't listen to or observe these things without lovingly and firmly correcting them. The spirit grieves over these things. The church grieves over these things. 
Keep a humble heart before God and other people. Rejoice in the Lord. Do what is right. The power of the Spirit. Walk in repentance. Seek reconciliation. Here's how you know if you're loving the church. Who are you burdened for? Who are you crying out to God on their behalf? One last thing as we close. You know what this makes me want to do? It makes me want to gratefully serve God with every ounce of my being. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The most comprehensive, that calls for our service. That calls for our our free giving because we freely received. Christ came to serve and give his life. That's what we ought to do, pour out our lives for the brethren. I was reading just the other day a chapter from the Bible to a, a dear brother in Christ who's battling a terminal disease. And I read him Joshua chapter one, and it reminded him how God reassured Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I shared with him the line of a poem by John Milton that says this, they also serve who only stand and wait. They also serve who only stand and wait. Milton wrote that when he went blind at age 44. He wrote of serving God with no sight. And I told my friend, even if you could do nothing but sit and and hear the word of God and pray, you are serving Christ. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God's love never runs out on you, never expires on you, His loving kindness is everlasting. Amy Carmichael said, the love of God, what it is, none but his loved ones know. But let me ask you, it could be, it just could be that you are fighting against the truths that you keep hearing in Romans 8. The most wonderful truths that free believers, you might be fighting against these truths due to a rebellious heart. Let the knowledge of the love of God Soften your heart and be willing to be taught by God. But maybe you're too busy chasing the world. Maybe you've got a distracted heart. Maybe you, maybe you have an idolatrous heart. You, you don't allow God to break your heart and convict you. Maybe you're timid. Maybe you're doubting the love of God and doubting these truths and saying, it doesn't apply to me. You have an insecure heart. Let the love of God overwhelm your heart. Wash over your heart. Be, be willing to be comforted by God and fellow believers. It might be today that you, have, you feel that you have failed God so much, there is no way in the world this could actually apply to you. You have a condemned heart, and you're in Christ, and you're uncondemned, but you're condemning yourself. You love Jesus. You're trusting him. You have to allow God to free your heart. If you're the kind of person that never cries, cry over these truths. If you're the kind of person that always cries, let these truths steady your heart. God wants you to have the highest view of him, the highest view, the greatest view of his grace, the most magnificent esteem for his mercy, because the most important thing about us are the thoughts we have of God. This makes me want to just say, Jesus loves me. I hope it makes you say that too. Jesus loves me. I'm awestruck. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for 
your love for us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that your love never falters. You're not going to leave the project unfinished. You're not going to default on your promises. Thank you, Lord, that your gospel promises never expire. And for that, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.